We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other end of the speaker. I appreciate you tuning in. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Today, we're going to talk about the 49ers season up until this point. We are currently in the midst of week their week nine bye. We're at as close to the halfway point of the season as you can get it. Great time um, for a buy for the 49ers right in the middle of the year. You're always trying to avoid those ones that are a little too late and you have this huge opening stretch or the ones that come a little too early and you have to finish the season with 10, 12, uh, you know, 15 straight games. I don't think it could be that early, but you guys know what I'm saying. So we're right at the middle of the season for the 49ers who, to be honest, are a little bit of an enigma right now. I don't think anybody out there is really, really knows what to think about the 49ers. They started out absolutely red hot as what was kind of unanimously agreed to as the best team in the NFL. They shut down the Steelers. Um, they did pretty well against the Rams. I mean, that was only a 30-23 to 23 win. Um, they, for the most part, shut down the Giants 30-12, uh, to 12, beat the car- beat the brakes off the Cardinals 35-16, to 16, and then put on a true show against the Dallas Cowboys in Week 5 at Levi Stadium, beating them 42-10. to 10. And... At that point, I think the entire NFL world was like, okay, the 49ers are unanimous, you know, unquestionable Super Bowl favorites at this point. And then, as everybody knows, they've rattled off three straight wins, three straight losses in a row. Uh, If if it was three straight wins, we'd be having an entirely different conversation. And the 49ers would be 8-0, but that uh, that is not the reality. But before we get to the 49ers, and I do have some takeaways that I've that I've jotted down myself, and I put out a tweet uh, saying, hey, midseason mailbag, send me your tweets, send me your takeaways, send me your X's, send me your questions, comments, concerns, whatever you have. And I got, I got a few replies that we're going to get to towards the end of this episode. Don't worry, it's not the usual takeaway time, 40, 50, 60, 70, even 90 replies. Um, I, you know, this is, this was just tweeted out between 
afternoon in Sunday night football on a 49ers bye week. Didn't expect to have a whole lot of a response, um, but we did get some, and we will get to those a little later later this episode. But before I get to that, I have got to do my absolute best to describe to you the football game that myself and the Kasner Thunderbirds participated in this weekend. I I don't think I'm going to be able to tell this story to where it truly captures just how unbelievable it was in a good way. It was the most intense, nail-biting, frustrating, exciting. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of some other <laughs> words here. Game that I have ever coached. Uh, and not even close. Like It was just an unbelievable game from start to finish. I'm going to break it down for you, okay? Uh, we started off the game uh, with a nice little defensive stand. They had to punt. I'm not going to break down every drive. Don't worry. But, you know, the game started out pretty even. Um, we went down, and on our first possession, we scored, ran the ball, and just methodically moved the ball down the field. Bam, 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 bam. And we scored on our two-point conversion. It was 8-0. No. Um, Clark moves down the field. They're able to score. Um make it four and they went for their two in middle school. Everybody does two point conversions for the most part. They went for their two, two point conversion, made it 14 to eight. That's what, that's the score. Or excuse me. It was eight to eight at this point. Now, right before halftime, not a whole lot of time left. We're not expecting to score. We're just driving the ball, but we're going to give it a shot. We've got like one or two minutes. We're going to get it down there as best we can. We have a stud running back named major Lee. And he was just in one of his plays where he's just doing what he does and he's fighting for every single yard that he can. He's fighting with like three or four defenders from this other middle school. And just he's not really gaining many yards, but it's taking like four or five guys just to slow him up. And right, I would say right when they were about to blow the whistle, when his forward progress was right about stopped and kind of like as he's pressing, the quarterbacks kind of just put himself right behind him, like is watching him try to drive this pile forward. And I'd say they're right at about the hash mark on our sideline. Right as they're about to blow the whistle f- for forward progress. It was just about that time. Major just plops the ball out and pitches it backwards to the quarterback. Who's kind of just sitting there watching. And our, our quarterback is athletic JJ Howard. Um, he takes it and just sprints down the left sideline and is getting chased by five or six Clark defenders and beats them all to the end zone to make it 14 uh, to eight going into the half. We didn't convert on our two point attempt, so that makes it 14 to eight. They answered back in the third quarter. Um, we had a couple, we had a, a broken coverage or just bad coverage, I guess you could say. Uh, they go for a field goal and we block it. So at that point, it's 14 to 14. We go down and score. Uh, we end up running a we we motion like I said majors our running back is just a freak athlete about six foot 180 pounds at the middle school level we motion him out we run uh, three receivers to the left motion him out to the right we run a go ball and he just runs right by his guy JJ puts it on on a just an absolute dime drops it in on him and we score in a touchdown there so now we've got and again we did not convert on our two point attempt so it's 20 to 14. And at this point, there's about, you know, we go back and forth. We stop them. We have a chance to kind of do a last-minute drive to kind of put the game away. They stop us. Um, 
Now they're going down the field. I'd say there's about three and a half minutes left of the game. They're driving down the field and the game is, is, is we're leading 20 to 14. Now they run what is called the hook. They're moving down the field. They're actually getting about seven, eight yards of play. So it's looking like it's going to come down to the wire. And then they run what's called the hook and ladder. And if you don't know what the hook and ladder is, it's kind of like one way you can do it is you, you have two receivers tied to the left. The outside receiver runs a hitch while the inside receiver kind of runs like a, let's say a bubble or a now he just kind of backs up, looks for the ball. The outside receiver runs a hitch. The quarterback throws it to him on the hitch. And then that inside receiver that was kind of just chilling, running a bubble, whatever now sprints past that receiver that just caught the hitch. And that receiver pitches it to him as he goes by has to be backwards and uh, he catches it and goes, that's the hook and ladder. And they ran it. We knew they'd ran it, but we just, weren't prepared for it in that moment and they get it and they score. Now my dad texted me during the game who had came for the second half and said, Hey, that receiver was down on that hook and ladder. And this was after the play didn't matter, but that was frustrating to know. And with middle school officiating, do you think NFL officiating is bad? You've never will know what you're going to get in middle school officiating, but they're out there doing their best. Apparently the receiver was down when he caught it because your knee can't be down. At all, doesn't matter if a defender touches you. So he caught it, uh, he pitched it, and they scored on that play. Our defense comes up huge. And you got to understand, middle schoolers, they're so emotional. They're so up and down. Their heads go up and down all the time, depending on the situation. And after that play, they were so down, and we just said, look, the game is not over. If you stop them right here, the game goes on, and we get into overtime. And... And we did. We stopped them. They went for a run down the middle, and they'd been running the ball well that day, and we stopped it. And we, uh, So the game goes on. And there was actually still about a minute and a half left. And we start driving down the field, bam, 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 hitting big plays, making big plays. And we get to about the 10 or 15-yard line, and we've still got plenty of time to kind of in the same situation the Cowboys were in. And our middle school offense handled that situation about as well as the Cowboys did. Uh, JJ, our quarterback, bless his soul. He's just trying to move around and make a play, find someone open. He gets sacked twice in a row, not realizing that we don't have any timeouts left. And we probably should have told him this before that series. Bad coaching on my part, our part. That Look, you cannot take a sack. We have no timeouts left. We've used them all getting here. You've got to make sure that if nobody's open, you just throw it away. We'll, we'll go for it next play. Well, he takes two sacks. The time runs out, you know, and that's frustrating. But now we've got to, it's overtime. We've got to prepare for overtime. I'm saying, you know, my quarterback and my star running back have their helmets off like the game's over. And I'm trying to tell them in the nicest way possible, our two, our two biggest leaders can't look like this. Put your helmet back on and let's go win in overtime. And so overtime starts and they get first attempt. Uh, they score. And they get their two-point conversion. I can't remember exactly how they score or get the two. We 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 come up, and J.J., bless his heart, takes another sack, which backs us up five or six yards. But then in one of the following plays, uh, we line up, line up three receivers to the left, one receiver to the right. Uh, I liked what I saw over there, and right before the play, right before the play, and this is, I'm not crediting myself for the play, that's for sure. I want to say J.J. may have already told him this. Just He saw what I saw. There was a ton of space in between the safety and the corner on the single receiver side. And I just yell out, slant or uh, post, 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 post. And 
JJ hears it. The receiver hears it. He runs a post. JJ puts it on him. Our receiver catches it as he goes down in the end zone. Bam, we score. And on the uh, on the two-point conversion, that was our first one. I don't necessarily remember how we got the first two-point conversion, but we get it. Game goes on. We're going to overtime, too. Um, we we kind of run the ball a couple times, I believe. Then JJ, we call this little like running back kind of seam on a pass play where he just kind of runs around the right side of the offensive line and is just ready for kind of an immediate pass. And J.J. just perfectly lofts it over a couple of their defenders. It was only like a five-yard pass, but the trajectory in which he threw it was so impressive. And he caught it. We scored a touchdown. Then for their our two-point conversion, uh, J.J. rolls to the right. He's looking for a target, looking for a target. Can't find it. Finally says, F it. Takes it, runs into the end zone. They were kind of playing man coverage, so he's able to run into the end zone for the two-point conversion untouched. And one thing I probably should have led with, and maybe now is a good time to introduce this. The team we're going up against is in first place. They are undefeated. They are 7-0. and And they've already secured first place. Now they are playing for their undefeated season. Us, on the other hand, at the time, we are 5-2. and No, no. Yeah, 5-2. and We uh, lost one of our earlier games of the season to this team and one to another team. Now you play each team twice. So we we started off our first four games two and two, and then we had beaten the first team that we'd already beat. Then we came back and beat the other team uh, that had already beat us. We beat them convincingly, so that was a huge win for us. Then we beat the other team we'd already beat. So now we are five and two, and we've beaten three out of the four teams, and this is the last one. And we know that we can't technically secure first place, but if we can finish this season winning four out of four games and beating every single team and ruining their undefeated season, we're going to feel like champs no matter what. Now, obviously, that's not how it works. They have the better record. They get first place. But that's what we're playing for. And and so they line up for – now they have to match our, two, our, our touchdown and two-point conversion. They come up. They score. A few plays, running plays, they get in there. And then – on their two-point conversion play, we had been yelling on our for our left side outside linebacker to scoot up and play closer to the line all game. He finally does it, and they run a toss play to the left, and the quarterback tosses it, and right as the ball's reaching the running back, that left side outside linebacker just blows it up. The ball goes flying backwards. Two, three of our defensive linemen are fighting with it for one of their guys. Doesn't matter. The play is done. We win. Everybody, are, are, I mean, our coaches rush the field. The seventh grade coaches that are still there rush the field. All the players rush the field. The fans that are in the, you know, you've got the home fans on the right side of the stadium or on the right side of the stands and the, the away parents on the left side, late away fans. They come rushing down onto the field. Everybody's going nuts. And what's funny is, the other school is playing like we are the champions music because they technically are the champions. They ended up with seven, one record, better record than us. Doesn't matter. They, they, they got first place, but we're the ones on the field celebrating. Like we just won the freaking super bowl. And it was just one of the craziest, coolest football experiences I've ever had in my life. One of the craziest games I've ever seen or participated in, in my life. And absolutely the craziest game I've ever coached. Our players are crying. I'm crying. I mean, not like streaming tears, but I'm choked up. I can barely get the words out when I'm talking to them after the game. 
They're all crying. Everybody's hugging. It's the last game of the season. We ended the season beating all four of the teams and, and you know, essentially ended on a 4-0 and run. And it was just unbelievable. One of the coolest experiences I've ever had coaching. And it was even sweeter for me because, you know, uh, Katie and I are about to have our, our baby boy and, and right around Christmas. And I don't think I'm going to coach football this next year because it's just such a long season. Goes all the way, you know, practices start in the spring, go all the way through the summer, and then go all the way through right now, you know, early November. This is when the season ends. And so I don't think I'm going to do it next year. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll eventually come back to coaching football. As you can tell, I absolutely love it. But uh, I, I mean, I hope you didn't mind me taking up 15 minutes of your time to tell you that story, but it was just unbelievable. And I had to go straight from that football game to uh, one of our baby showers. And I'm just like, an, um, not an emotional wreck, but my adrenaline is just through the roof. I'm trying to sit here at this baby shower and just be chill and funny and relaxed and I'm still thinking about the game of, of our life as a, as a team. And so it was nuts. So shout out to the Kastner Thunderbirds of the uh, 2023 season, because that was a special one. And I am never going to forget that season. It was unbelievable. And, um, and I'm proud of them because, you know, you always, especially at the seventh and eighth grade level, these are your eighth graders. One of the, the rarest quality that you'll ever find is to be able to respond to adversity, you know, and at this age, adversity kind of crushes them most of the time. And they usually, they learn how to respond to that later in life, you know, as they get older and they get more mentally tough, but this team just kept going. They just kept going. And at one point during, uh, I think in between the first and second overtime, I looked at them all and I was like, guys, where else would you rather be? What else would you rather be doing? And I saw their shoulders kind of perk up. They looked up and they kind of looked at each other and they, they kind of laughed at the goofy shit I always say, and then they went out and did it. So it was an unbelievable end to an unbelievable season, and I just felt like you guys had to hear about it. But, you know, in, in the same way that our the end of our season was unbelievable, you know, you also got to see the Cowboys be the same old Cowboys. We're going to transition. Thank you for listening to my 16-minute middle school story. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, but it was it was really was unbelievable. And I'm still, like, coming down from it a day later, it was just a, a rare, rare football game. And I've, I've coached for almost 10 years now and I've just never experienced a game like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe on, on a lighter note, maybe you enjoyed the, we, as 49ers fans, you needed the, the, the Cowboys to beat the Eagles for NFC, NFC seating. Um, the 49ers needed the Cowboys to beat the Eagles for NFC seating because I mean, ideally in an ideal world, even though they are right now, uh, the 49ers aren't worried about the Cowboys. They're worried about the Eagles. Well, the Cowboys were the same old Cowboys. Last-minute drive, got all the way down to the six-yard line with like 20 seconds, 20-something seconds, twenty seconds left, and they had one of the most hilarious five-play sequences where there was a false start, and then after that, Dak Prescott took a sack. Then after that, he threw an incompletion, and then after that, they had a day of delay of game, and then after that, they threw a completion short of the goal line, and the game's over. It was they had they a pass interference call got him to midfield and then a roughing the quarterback call got him to you know the 20 yard line and then they got all the way to the the 6 yard line and just absolutely imploded as a team just un, it was it was crazy to watch all right so 49ers 17 minutes into the pod and we're just getting to the 49ers um i'm going to start out we will like i said we will get to your i think i've already said this we will get to your takeaways at the uh, at the end of the episode which won't be too far but i just I figured it was appropriate on a bye week to just kind of sum up my takeaways from this team so far. And I could get super in-depth, and maybe I'll mention little things here and there. 
one quick uh, drink of water real quick. I don't, I don't edit stuff like that out. Come on now. This is a real experience here. These are my takeaways. Um, the things that when I think about the 49ers right now, these are the things that I think about. Okay. That's all it is. First things first, uh, the Christian McCaffrey trade continues to just pay absolute dividends. I mean, one of the best trades has to be one of the best trades in 49ers history. Uh, I know I don't know every trade in 49ers history, so I shouldn't say that. I always laugh when people are like, you know, it's kind of like uh, an elf when it's like world's best coffee and he comes and he's like, congratulations. You know, people say that shit all the time and I'm like, you haven't had all the coffees, so how would you know? Anyways, I digress. I'm sorry. Since Christian McCaffrey has joined the 49ers, he's played in 19 games. He started 18 of them. This is not including playoffs. Okay, He has 296 carries in two years for 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns. He's averaging 4.7 yards per carry. He's also averaging 73 rushing yards per game, which is among the highest of his career. On top of that, he's caught 84 passes for 756 yards and eight touchdowns. So he's well over 2,000 yards, and he's only one slash two games over the normal regular season game amount. So he's essentially he's essentially been a 2,000-yard player for the 49ers that they acquired for, you know, a third, a fourth, and whatever else. It doesn't really matter because... Just an unbelievable trade. And for every Trey Lance-type situation that the 49ers find themselves in, they are saved by making trades like this. Making trades for Trent Williams and stumbling upon a dude named Brock Purdy or trading a second rounder for Jimmy Garoppolo. And I understand that you know the Jimmy Garoppolo situation didn't work out either, but talk about the, the era of success that that quarterback ushered in for the 49ers. It's like these are, you know, for every win, for every loss this 49ers front office has had, they've had wins that have been able to make up for it. And that's why this team has kept winning. And this Christian McCaffrey trade has just proven to be an absolute, just whatever superlative you want to give it, just absolute dynamite from top to bottom. He took a great offense and they made it elite with the addition of Christian McCaffrey. He almost immediately became irreplaceable. He now holds the touchdown record with 17 consecutive games getting into the end zone. If he gets into the end zone next week against the Jaguars in Jacksonville, he will now hold the record with 18 consecutive games scoring a touchdown. Something tells me the 49ers are going to make sure that happens. Something tells me. But if it doesn't, who gives a shit? It's, it's, he's just proven himself to be everything the 49ers wanted and needed when they made that trade. It's crazy because going all the way back to my time at Niners Wire, I remember doing a draft article that was basically like what I think the 49ers would do and what I would do. And I think what I thought the 49ers would do would take Jamal Adams. And they ended up training back one spot and taking Solomon Thomas. But when I for the section of that article, when I chose what I would do, I, I put Christian McCaffrey and this is not a, a, a victory lap. I just, I saw what Kyle Shanahan did. Cause this, remember this is 2017. 
So it's his before his first year with the team. But I saw what he had done with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman in Atlanta in that insane season where they went to the Super Bowl. And I was like, you know, when it came to rushing yards and receptions, and I was like, Christian McCaffrey is like both of these guys combined. Why would he not? I don't care if it's two or three overall. Like this guy looks absolutely tailor made for everything Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And sure as shit, he is like, he just absolutely transformed this offense. And I think for every problem, the 49ers run into, you know, you have to make sure, especially after a three game losing streak, you have to make sure you, you acknowledge their successes as well. And I understand that we've been acknowledging the success that is Christian McCaffrey for quite some time now, but I'm still just in awe of how much we see him on a game to game basis. He consistently plays over 95% of the snaps, sometimes 100. The 49ers offense goes as he goes most of the time. And it's just pretty unreal that a player like that has just entered the building and took an offense that was already praised in Kyle Shanahan's and made it that much better. So to me, my first takeaway for this season is that Christian McCaffrey, that Christian McCaffrey trade, continues to just pay absolute dividends. And then you go even you go look at what he did in the playoffs. In his in his I want to just get in his 3 games in the playoffs with the 49ers. He had 40 carries for 238 yards and two touchdowns. He averaged 6 yards a carry in the playoffs and again maintained that 79 yards per game averaged on the ground. He also caught 12 passes for 81 yards and one touchdown. So there was nothing about Christian McCaffrey's productivity that changed when they got into the playoffs. I mean, that is just a star player right there. And the 49ers made that happen at the end of last season. And, you know, this was his first off season with the team and it's just proven to be unreal, unreal. I mean, I can't, I can't talk about that enough. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. My next takeaway. My next takeaway is that Brock Purdy looks like a first-year quarterback, and that is okay. We've already heard questions. We've already heard. You know, we've already heard questions in press conferences asking if forty asking if quarterback Kyle Shanahan was considering benching Brock Purdy, and I, I mean, I just don't get it because Brock Purdy has played seventeen games up until this point. Since he started 13. So, I mean, I don't know how the 17 comes in. But since he came in last season. So, I mean, if you're looking at that, why does it say he's only started 13 games, but he's played in 17? I don't know. that That kind of like throws me off a little bit. I know he's done little things here and there in other games. Is that what they're counting? I don't know. All right. In his time as a, in his 13 starts, the 49ers have gone 10 and 3. Okay, let's just start with that. And I understand that that 3 has come over the last 3 games, but you've got to still look at Brock Purdy's body of work. He still hasn't even hit 13 starts. He hasn't even hit a full season's worth of action. Now, if you want to count the playoffs, he started 3 games in the playoffs. So he's getting very close to that full game mark. And if you want to include the playoffs, you're looking at two and one. So, so far, Brock Purdy is 12 and four in his 16 games. He's completed 60, almost 68% of his passes for 3,400 yards, 25 touchdowns and nine interceptions. And like one of those interceptions is from when he just kind of came in against the end of the Chiefs. Another one was like an arm punt. Another one was just a drop from Jawan. And it wasn't until this season that we really started to see interceptions that were clearly caused by Brock Purdy. Now, again, you're talking about a quarterback that hasn't even hit a full season's worth of games. And those are his statistics. He's not at a full season yet, but he's completing 68% of his passes for 3,400 yards, 25 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. Like, we need to relax. The man is essentially in his rookie season as a starter, and we're already talking about whether or not he's been needs to be benched because he's he threw a couple bad interceptions towards the end of games. Like, I, I, at what point do we just relax and give players time to develop? Something that Trey Lance didn't have, barely had, some fault of his own, some fault not of his own, incredibly bad luck. I, I, I'm not really comparing the two situations, but now Brock Purdy's in the wheel, at the wheel. And it's, I mean, 
why are we so quick to just unravel in terms of at one point Brock Purdy's the greatest, at one point he's the worst. How about Brock Purdy played really good football and now he's played a couple of bad games? And that's it. Like the story continues. It's just disturbing to me how quickly people feel the need to knee jerk react to anything that happens on a football field. And I understand the 49ers are a team that are ready to win. They need to win. And they think that Brock Purdy gives them the best chance to win. And everything we've seen up until maybe these last three games has told us that Brock Purdy has given this team the best chance to win they've had since, I don't know, you pick because you could go way back and then you'd still have my ear. So I'm just, I'm telling people to just relax. If you look at the last three losses, Purdy played pretty poorly against the Browns in shitty conditions, still had them in position to win at the end of the game. You'll go, you can go back to my reaction to that game. I didn't excuse the fact that Purdy played like shit for basically three quarters, started out strong, played like crap for three quarters, but then turn it on when he needed to turn it on at the end of the game to put them in position to win. And Jake Moody missed the kick. And I didn't even fault Jake Moody for that because I'm like, look, Jake Moody played just like how everybody else played in this game. You can't just play like crap all game and then get mad at the kicker because he did something crappy. Like you all sharing the blame. So against the Browns, pretty wasn't great. It was crappy conditions against an absolutely elite and in some ways all-time great defense in what the Browns have been able to do so far this year. And then you had the Vikings game where and we've had this conversation. I am not prepared to blame Purdy's performance in that fourth quarter on the concussion. But we do know factually that he suffered what looked like a pretty severe concussion in the fourth quarter of that game and literally two plays later threw his first interception to what looked like a ghost. The closest 49ers receiver was like five or six yards away, and he threw it right to a safety. And before that point, we did the breakdown. Purdy was like 19 of 22 for 225 yards, one touchdown, and no interceptions. So he was playing outstanding against the Vikings while the 49ers defense was getting diced up. He suffered a concussion, just a fact, immediately throws an interception, and then the next time he throws an interception, it's on a drive when they're getting the ball back with one minute and 11 seconds. And he's just trying to get the team down the field because a touchdown wins them that game. And he ends up forcing the ball into kind of a, a weird situation where, where I said it seemed like there were two routes running very close together. But he thought a linebacker or safety was going to drag across the field with the crossing route. He didn't. He came off it and was able to pick off the, the ball for the interception. Purdy was playing an excellent game. Things unraveled in the fourth quarter was a large reason why the 49ers weren't able to win that game. And then you've also got the fact that the defense was getting absolutely gashed by Kirk Cousins, who's now out for the season. And then you get to the Cincinnati game where Purdy did, you know, his own second half meltdown. The first, a freak play with a linebacker right in his face, and he tried to throw it over him, didn't do a good good enough job of it, and the linebacker just snags it out of the air. The second, what was the second? Yeah, the second interception was actually kind of like a prelude to what was a near interception earlier in the game. 
Purdy earlier in the game threw a ball over the middle that should have been picked off by the same linebacker that ends up picking him off later in the game in the same fashion, a ball over the middle, and he's just not reading exactly where the linebacker is, and he kind of throws it right to him. So both of those interceptions, in my opinion, inexcusable, and there's nothing to blame other than Brock Purdy's inexperience and misreading that play. Uh, and, And after that interception, that second one, the first interception didn't really end up having any major causes other than the fact that it was in the red zone. You, you, the 49ers are about to score, and then he throws his interception. They didn't score on that play, but that's still taking seven points off the board, what's likely seven points off the board for the 49ers. And then the second interception he threw, uh, the, the Bengals scored on the very next play. So you're talking about some serious swings and points here. Uh, but even then, in that game, other than those bad plays, Purdy completed over 70% of his passes for 365 yards, one touchdown, and those two interceptions we just talked about. Joe Burrow, on the other, on the other hand, absolutely livid, lit it up against uh, what we what looks like a shell of the 49ers defense. So no excuses for Purdy. He's making decisions that are hurting the team. But at the same time, he's not doing it in a way where you're like, this guy cannot be the man. He's having good games, making bad decisions. He suffered a concussion during part of that. Again, I'm not necessarily com- prepared to like blame those interceptions on the concussions, but when you watch them happen, it has to be related. It has to have an effect. Okay, But what I liked about, and, I, and I'm going to say this, what I liked about Brock Purdy's performance against the Bengals was that he showed all sides of the coin, the bad and the good, like a two-faced coin. Through those interceptions, he had another near interception, but he also made so many plays in that game. Again, he threw for 365 yards. Some of that was garbage time towards the end. But, I mean, you talk about rushing. You talk about avoiding pressure. You talk about throwing downfield into pinpoint locations. You talk about creating plays. You talk about moving the chains with your feet and with your arms. Brock Purdy did a lot of stuff in that game that was very impressive. And I know it doesn't look like a game where where Purdy kind of got his feet back and under him. But if you go back and watch that game and watch how Purdy played up until those moments at the end of the game, it was pretty good. And I think that when it comes to what the 49ers fan base wants from their quarterback, they need to just give it some time. Because you're talking about a guy that is coming into this with, with a ton of college experience, but just immediately took over and looked better than... Like I said, any quarterback the 49ers have had in quite some time. I don't know how big of a fan you were of Garoppolo. I don't know how big of a fan you were of Kaepernick. I don't know how big of a fan you were of Alex Smith, and so on and so on. But Purdy's look good. And I think he just needs time to go through these games, learn from them. He seems like a really humble and focused dude, somebody that's not going to beat himself up too much over plays like this. And somebody that's going to allow himself to look back at it and say, "All right, this is what I got to do. This is what's going to. Ch- this is what's got to change." But you need to go back and watch that game and just look at the amount of plays he created and the throws he made. Like that throw downfield to Kittle with two defenders right next to him. He just basically put it on his shoulder. Just, I mean, like I said, made plays with his legs, throw some absolute dimes. He kept plays alive. He made those two throws back across his body that any quarterback would deem suicidal, and that ball hung up in the air a long time. But he got out of the pocket, avoided the pass rush, converted in the red zone to Kittle, and then shortly after that converted in the red zone to McCaffrey for the touchdown. On, again, uh, you know, a throw back across his body, and Purdy does not have an elite arm. 
But if you understand what you're capable of and you know how to use it and you, you make it work for you, then it is what it is. So again, Brock Purdy looks like a first year quarterback and I am okay with that. And I think that everybody needs to pump the brakes and give him a chance to develop unless you want to be part of this weird ass quarterback carousel that the 49ers have had going for the last like six or seven years or whatever you want to call it. I th- I think the 49ers best course of action right now is to just allow Purdy to develop within the, within this offense and get used to making these mistakes. This shit is going to happen. It, it is what it is. The best quarterbacks in the game are making mistakes at a pretty rapid rate. I mean, Josh Allen, now he brings a lot to the table, so it's not really an apples-to-apples comparison. But that dude's thrown, like, interceptions in, like, a, like some type of, like, five, six, seven games in a row. I thought I just saw it. Maybe it's not that many, but... And the Chiefs just scored, like, nine points against the Broncos. Like, every team has these missteps. Now, the 49ers are now in a what, what could be looked at as a three-game misstep. But it's just... I, I just think the overreaction to Purdy's struggles is a little heavy. Uh, even in the games they lost, he still found ways to to look pretty damn good. And I think we just need to give it time. And, you know, if you, if you were willing to embrace the fact that he was really good in a lot of consecutive games, then I think you've got to realize, like, okay, so now we're seeing the other side of the coin, and, you know, maybe we'll settle somewhere in the middle, uh, whatever that looks like. But I, I just – I think Brock Purdy looks like a young cor- young quarterback, and, and that's okay. Uh, another quick takeaway that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. I wish I would have. I don't know that many stats that really give like in-depth statistics and kind of, you know, the stuff I'm looking for. But I think that uh, I still think that George Kittle is is criminally underutilized in this offense. And I understand that it is chocked full of talent. Believe me, I understand it. You've got Purdy who's who's, who's dealing who's dealing the ball. You've got Christian McCaffrey. You've got Brandon Ayuk. You've got Debo Samuel. You know, that's, and then you've got George Kittle. That's a lot of playmakers. But there's just something about Kittle that ignites this team, that ignites the offense. It just seems like when the 49ers are great and when the 49ers are winning games, Kittle is consistently a part of it in a way that goes beyond just his elite run blocking. I get it. You know, you want him to be doing that as often as possible because he's absolutely great at it. But right now, through eight games, Kittle has 32 catches. That's four catches a game. He has 443 yards and three touchdowns. All three of those touchdowns were in the same game, were they not? So... And to me, I, I understand, I, and I have a, you guys know that I have a very high opinion of Brandon Ayuk. I have a high opinion of Debo Samuel as well, and you just heard my high opinion of Christian McCaffrey. But there's something about Kittle that represents kind of the core of this team, and I feel like every play he makes just adds a little bit more fire to this offense. And he's just too good not to be involved. You're talking about, like, maybe the second-best tight end in the NFL? Brandon Ayuk's not the second best receiver in the NFL. Debo Samuel's not the second best receiver in the NFL. Christian McCaffrey's probably the best running back in the NFL. So to me, I, that's just a, such a bare bones way of looking at it. But in terms of priority, maybe Kittle should be second in line on this offense. 
And like I said, you guys know I have a very high opinion of Brandon Ayuk. I think he's a top 15 receiver in the NFL, maybe even top 10 if we started going through them all. I think we did at one point. I can't remember how high I got. I think I got to like 12 or 13 before I thought that's where Brandon Ayuk sort of belonged. But I just think that George Kittle needs to be a much, much bigger part of this offense. I mean, he had a huge role in the 49ers game against the Bengals, and I think that needs to continue. He had nine catches for 145 yards, but Brandon Ayuk still had five catches for 109 yards. I just think that Kittle is one of the pieces of this offense, just turns it into something else. And you know what else Kittle does? Is he cover the kids' ears? He fucks up opposing defenses. Like he had one catch against the 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 Bengals where he caught the ball and tore it upfield and three Bengals defenders hit him at once and all three of them bounced off and Kittle just kept going. A guy like that, I mean think about his his game ceiling play against the Saints. He just punishes opposing defenses and nobody looks forward to tackling him and he just sets the tone for an offense. He's just a heart guy. He's a he's a core of the team guy, and I just think there should never be a game where Kittle has less than like six or seven targets or three, four, five receptions. At least I'm saying never should have least less than that. So I, I just think that George Kittle is criminally underutilized, and I think it's genuinely a problem. I really do. I think that they need to get George Kittle the ball more because he creates plays, he deserves it, and he sets the tone, and he fires everybody up. And sometimes that type of shit goes a long way. Like production isn't everything. It's it's. I mean, it's it's how you win. But in terms of just the general vibe of a sideline and how much energy a team has, Kittle's about as strong as it gets when it comes to firing everybody up. My next takeaway. The pressure is absolutely on for defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes, unquestionably. I mean, almost, almost, and I'll get to this, almost every conceivable, conceivable statistic for the 49ers defense, they are significantly worse this year than they were last year. And that's not like groundbreaking analysis, but it's something worth talking about when you're talking about a team that, if anything, might have upgraded from the players they had last year. Just really surface-level stuff. In terms of total yards, this year's defense is 15 in the NFL. Last year's, they were second. Yards per play, this year they're 12th. Last year they were 6th. In terms of takeaways, this year they're 8th. Last year they were 3rd. Passing touchdowns given up, this year they're 16th. Last year they were 6th. Yards per carry on the ground, this year they're 15th. Last year they were 2nd. Yards per attempt in the air. Now, this is when it gets weird, and I think I know why. Yards per attempt is fourth this year, but 13th last year. Yards per completion, second this year, and 10th last year. Percentage now, you're going back the other way, and I guess this is where everything falls. If I were to erase all those other stats, and I just kept this one, Scoring allowed this year, 15th, last year, first. So when it comes to offenses, scoring points, this year the 49ers are as mediocre as it gets. And last year they were the absolute best. So there's your, there's your. if you want to fall back on a bet of stats, all you need is that one. 
And one thing I thought was weird, and it kind of goes with those other two stats, the air yards and the yards per completion. In terms of pressures, pressure percentage, knockdowns, quarterback hits, quarterback hit percentages, they are all similar, if not better, this year. And so what that tells me is opposing offenses are getting the ball out quickly, and the receiver they're getting it out too quickly is always open. And that is a problem. And the problem with that problem is I'm not sure adding somebody like Chase Young fixes that problem. The 49ers have a schematic problem that is allowing receivers to get open quickly enough to where the opposing quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and like Kirk Cousins don't ever have to double clutch the ball. The moment they double clutch, given those pressure numbers and knockdown percentages, the moment any of these quarterbacks that the 49ers are going up to, the moment they double clutch or pump the ball, they're going down. Unless it's one of those freak plays where Joe Burrow fights his way out of the arms of Eric Armstead and fights his way out of the arms of Nick Bosa and then throws it to Jamar Chase. If quarterbacks are forced to spend any extent, and I do remember seeing a stat when it comes to how quickly opposing offenses are throwing the ball. I think the 49ers are up near the top of the list in terms of how quickly quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball. And that aligns with everything we've seen. They're not doing well in basically every other conceivable statistic, but in terms of air yards per attempt, yards per completion, pressures, percentages, knockdowns, all that stuff is good. But all that's telling you is that receivers are getting open and they're getting open quickly against this 49ers defense. Doesn't matter the upgrades they've made. The book is out. The solution is out there. If you want to beat the 49ers defense, just throw the ball quickly. Make sure you got a couple short routes on every play and one of them will be open. That's essentially where the 49ers defense is right now and they weren't there last year. The 49ers gave up bigger pass plays and more yards or bigger pass plays last year in terms of yards per completion and yards per attempt. That's because opposing offenses are under the gun and they're trying to find a way to make it happen. And they're going, they have to go for these bigger plays right now. Opposing offenses are just content, content, essentially dinking and dunking their way down the field and scoring. Because like we said, scoring allowed, 49ers are absolutely middle of the road this year, and last year they were first. So, the I mean, it's, it's right there in ink. They're not giving up a lot of yards per attempt. They're not giving up a lot of yards per completion, but opposing offenses are scoring because they're just going down the field. Bam, 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 score. Bam, 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 score. It's also harder to create turnovers when the pass plays are like that. So Steve Wilkes has a schematic problem where his pass rush is being rendered useless and uh, and opposing quarterbacks are completing passes at will. Joe Burrow, and uh, Joe Burrow is a very good quarterback, who's, um, I'm going to go really quickly and see where he's at against the Bills right now. Right now, the Bengals are beating the Bills 21-10 to 10 in towards the end of the third quarter. And right now, Joe Burrow is 25 of 34 for 232 yards and two touchdowns. So Burrow is absolutely lighting up the Bills defense as well. So if that gives you any solace as far as what he was able to do to the 49ers defense, you can take it. But 
you know, I mean, that, and it, for a team that the 49ers want to, they want to think that they're a playoff contender. They can't get lit up like that against anybody. But it's clear the Bengals are finding their footing and they're as good as we expected them to be. So, you know, Joe Burrow's eviscerating the the Bills too. I don't know where we're at right now in the game and who's doing what and who has the ball. It's not really showing anybody have the ball right now, but So Steve Wilkes has especially with the acquisition of Chase Young. Steve Wilkes has to find a way to get after the quarterback and stop allowing so many receivers to get open so quickly. In terms of yards per carry, the 49ers aren't good either. But we haven't necessarily seen the 49ers get absolutely gashed on the ground. The Bengals were probably the first team this year, if my memory serves me, that truly went after the 49ers on the ground and were successful. For the most part, I mean, you think about the Vikings game. Kirk Cousins just eliminated the 49ers defense through the air. Joe Burrow did the same thing. So Steve Wilkes is tasked with finding a way to get after the quarterback because he's in terms of pressures and knockdowns and all that stuff, the 49ers are doing okay, but they're not sacking the quarterback and they're not covering receivers long enough to allow their defensive line to sack the quarterback. And my last takeaway is, and I think I've kind of alluded to this and we've, we, you know, you guys have too, but is I don't know what this team is capable of and I don't know how far they can go. Right now they're five and three. They've lost three in a row. And if you look at those three losses, I think they're maybe a little bit more deceiving, you know, a little bit more, they shed more, more negativity that I think they probably should. Like I said, the Bengals are looking like the real deal. Joe Burrow's healthy, and right now he's dicing up the Bills, if that makes you feel any better. Probably not. But when you, I talked to you guys before the Vikings, you're, you're talk, you go through all the three losses. Bengals, or excuse me, Browns, playing against an elite defense in shitty weather, on the road, in a short week, I believe. And they lost. They played like crap. They had a chance to win in the the end. The kicker missed it. Whatever. The whole team played bad. Then you get to the Vikings. A lot of things. He absolutely eviscerates the 49ers defense. Cousins does in a way that we, same way we saw the Bengals do it. And that's when we truly started to get exposed to the problems for the 49ers defense. Uh, And the problem that they're going to have to solve. The problem that Steve Wilkes is going to have to figure out. But a lot of people were underrating the Vikings because of their record. And I went back and looked at every one of their games. I'm like, they're competing with every team they play. Every loss they have has been competitive. Even against the Eagles, uh, they were right there. So I didn't underrate the Vikings in the fact that I thought they could show up and give the 49ers problems, and they did. And that doesn't give us give give you any comfort as far as – it's still a loss to what's probably just an okay team. Then the Bengals came in and they beat the 49ers the exact same way the Vikings did with more success on the ground and uh, Burrow was nearly flawless in the air. And and a lot of things had to go wrong for the 49ers to lose that game against the Bengals. Even the same thing could be said about the Vikings. The Vikings, you had another red zone fumble from Christian McCaffrey. And then you had uh, Brock Purdy's concussion, interception, and another interception then you got the Bur- the the Bengals game. The 49ers are about to score. Brock Purdy throws a weird interception with a guy right in front of him. And then he throws another in the fourth quarter. And in this, you know, I'm not I'm I'm done sounding like I'm making excuses for this team, but I really have no idea what they're capable of. They could at this point, and their schedule is not easy. 
Jaguars, Buccaneers, Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks. I mean, they've got a nice little stretch coming up. But it wouldn't surprise me if they just beat all those teams. It wouldn't surprise me if they went to Philadelphia and beat the Eagles. just wouldn't surprise me based on what we've seen from this team. But I honestly, I don't know what to expect. It also wouldn't surprise me if they lost to the Jags. They lost once to the Seahawks. They lost to the Eagles. You know, you're looking at a team that's like, I don't know what they'd be at that point, seven and six. You know what I mean? Like, I just have no idea what to expect from this team. And I think it's driving a lot of people mad. And they're just throwing shit at a wall, hoping it stinks with, with every excuse that they can come up with, with every possible reason this team sucks or they're still good. And I think it's just one of those things where we're just going to have to wait and see as frustrating as that is, as, 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 uh, you know, as, as frustrating as that may be for some of you, these teams proven to be absolutely great. What they did against the Cowboys cannot be discounted, but losing three in a row and scoring only 17 points in each of those games and looking like an inept defense in at least two of those games, that can't be ignored either. But all that does is leave us with a feeling of, I have no idea what to expect from this team. And I really don't. And that's my final takeaway. I know that I don't know. And uh, and it's a weird feeling, but the 49ers are at that point of the year where they tend to figure shit out and they tend to get things right and start making their way in, into the postseason. But right now, I think they've got control. They, they're officially in first in the place in the NFC West, I believe. They have the same record as the Seahawks, but I believe more division wins. You know, wherever. It doesn't matter. I mean, that doesn't mean anything at this point, especially if they're tied with the Seahawks. And then over the next one, two, three, four, five weeks, they're going to play the Seahawks twice. So we'll know a lot more then. They're also going to play the Eagles in week 13, which may or may not determine number one seed. I don't feel like the 49ers are in contention for the number one seed, but you never know how the season shakes out and where they end up being. That could be a must-win game for the 49ers. But Again, just to reiterate, I, I I have no idea what to expect from this team. I could just as easy see them falling apart as I could getting their feet under them and just running the table from here on out. We've just seen these this team do that before, so that wouldn't surprise me. But I just I don't know if if they have it. Is is Steve Wilkes a bigger problem than I think he is? Um, is he not big of as big of a problem as I think he is? Or is Brock Purdy's you know poor performances over the last three games? Is it a bigger problem or not as big of a problem? You know what I mean? There's just so much uncertainty with this team that doesn't leave us with much more of a choice than to sit here and figure it out. All right, those are my takeaways. I hope you enjoyed them. Let's get to your replies to my midseason mailbag time. We're going to start from the top. We've got Mike McVay. The Dallas and Seahawks, Sea Chickens, lost help today. Back on top of the NFC West. An Eagles loss would have been nice as well, but the football gods did not want that. Yeah, I mean, you, you either were going to get an Eagles loss or a Cowboys loss. Both, I would say, it in a way, helped the 49ers. We could be in a weird position where the Cowboys offense helps the 49ers more than the Eagles loss. I, I, I don't think I said loss after I said Cowboys. Rewinding. We could be in a position for the 49ers. A Cowboys loss would help more than an Eagles loss because maybe the Eagles get out of reach, but the 49ers can jump the the Cowboys for seeding. So either way, one of the one of those teams losing was good for the 49ers. Um, intriguing to see what Chase brings to the defensive line next Sunday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Hashtag striking gold fam. I'm going to give that a like. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think Mike's just doing a good job of kind of summing up summing up what that week meant to the 49ers. And again, an NFC team, a high level NFC team lost on Sunday, which is good news for the 49ers. Would they have rather the Eagles lost? Maybe if, if the 49ers end up figuring their shit out and they get up there to where they're they're in contention for the number one seed, maybe an Eagles loss would have been nice. But again, maybe a Cowboys loss was nice too because that could be the team that's closer to the record that they have. I think the Cowboys are now five and three. Five and what are the Cowboys now? I'm gonna Google it. Hold on. Swing this thing around here. Cowboys record. Let's see. Is it automatically updated? They are five and three. Yeah. Okay. No, we ranked your fourth time. Um Let's get to your other takeaways. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Tim said, has anyone interviewed Chase Young since he became a 49er? No, I do not believe so, but I'm assuming we will see that early this week. Brandon Fox, although still nine games, the Jags Jaguars game kind of has a must-win aura about it, but it's going to be tough, and you got to find a way. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, and, and this is a great comment from Brandon here. Um, Jaguars schedule. I'm going to go to this year's uh, and I don't think the team's site will let me change. Just give me, give me a second. Jaguars 2022 schedule. I want to, I want to hit you guys with just a little bit of knowledge here. Okay. So, I mean, let's go all the way back to November 6th of last year. Okay. Since November 6th of last year, the, the Jaguars are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 7 and 2 in the regular season to close last year. And this year, they are, I mean, what's the team right now? I hate that it just doesn't say this over here. Okay, regular season, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And two. So they're like 13 and four, 13 and three over their last like 16, 17 games. I mean, that was very rushed math because I don't want you guys to sit here and listen to that. So the Jaguars are playing outstanding football. They are in no way any kind of a throwaway for the 49ers. To me, I'm with Brandon. It has the aura of a must win game. The 49ers have got to figure it out. And if if they're going to be any type of contender, they have to be able to go into a place like Jacksonville and beat the Jaguars. Uh, but the Jaguars are playing a great brand of football. We're going to get into this. We're going to preview this game this week. But um, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough game for the 49ers. But I agree, like I said, with Brandon, that it really does have a must-win feel. I mean, if you, if you hate what you're hearing after a three-game losing skid, imagine if it turns into four. Or, I mean... Heaven forbid it turns into five against the Buccaneers at Levi Stadium. Then things are really going to hit the fan. So, again, I think right now is the time for the 49ers to turn it up and and win, start winning games. I think they're at a point where every game is a must-win game uh, if you're really talking about making any headway in playoff seating. So, Graz, what's up, buddy? Right now it doesn't feel like a Super Bowl team. I kind of agree. I mean, shit, that's what I just got done kind of talking about. I don't have any idea what this team's capable of. Given the age of some of their core pieces – George Kittle, Eric Armstead, Jamon Hargrave, Trent Williams. Do you think this is the best shot to get it done? If they don't get it done, do you think anything drastically changes next year? Let me see. I'm going to head on over to Over the Cap. Okay, and this is a, a website that tracks cap space. 49ers currently lead the NFL in cap space with $40 million. But if you jump over to 2024, they are only supposed to have $1.4 million in salary cap space. 
Now they've got some deals on there that feel like they're going to get restructured to some extent. Um, Trent Williams accounts for $31.6 million in salary cap next year. Eric Armstead, $28.5 million in salary cap next year. That number really stands out to me. I, I, I mean, I, I thought they already restructured Eric Armstead's contract. Um, I mean, if you look at that pre-June, Eric Armstead is $26 million in, in dead money. They, they would never cut him. They could give it a post-June 1 designation. I'm not talking about cutting like he deserves it, but you look, there, there are some massive salary cap hits in here. Uh, Debo George Kittle, $22 million. Fred Warner, $24 million. Debo Samuel, $28 million. Ooh, with a lot of dead money. So they are up against the wall next year. Brandon Ayuk is going to become a free agent. Um, and again, like Sograth says, there's a lot of their age is a huge factor for a lot of these guys. I don't necessarily think the window closes if they don't win it this year. I, I don't necessarily think that. But I, I do feel like the 49ers and a lot of the people in that front office and in the coaching staff and even on that team feel like this might be the year where they have the best shot. And I think that, you know, that's your question. Do you think this is the best shot to get it done? I really do. Uh, and you're also talking about a pretty contract that's incredibly affordable right now, which isn't going to be that way for long um, if he continues to progress. I don't necessarily think anything drastically changes next year. I think this team can still be very good next year, um, but it, it's right on the cusp of maybe the 49ers making some moves next year that does drastically change this team just to kind of set themselves up for their future. Uh, they've got to start figuring out what they're going to do when Trent Williams eventually retires. Uh, Eric Armstead, especially with that salary cap number, isn't going to be on this team forever. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of – they're going to be walking a tightrope in terms of the veteran players that Sogras talks about and, and bringing in new talent that's going to be able to some way fill that void. Um, I think that's a great question. I, think, I do think the 49ers are in kind of this one- or two-year window – where things are going to look really different after that point. And maybe they ace it. Maybe they bring in some free agents that kind of keeps this ball rolling. Uh, I'm not really one to believe windows just shut like that. You know, I think the teams control their destiny in terms of who they bring in and players stepping up to the plate and teams can stay good. We've seen it. I mean, a lot of people thought the chiefs offense would just fall off a cliff without Tyree kill. And I mean, maybe that's a poor example because they still have Patrick Mahomes, but. These coaches make a lot of money. These players make a lot of money, and they make that money to find a way to get it done. And a lot of teams figure it out. So I'm not saying the 49ers Super Bowl window is about to shut, but I do think this team probably thinks this year and next year at the absolute latest is the year they've got to get it done. Um, Paul Nappy, at this point, one seed's out of reach. We either be two or three seed, although that depends on the team actually winning games again. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, that that's why I'm saying that the Cowboys lost may still have some positive effects for the 49ers because they might be competing for the two seed or the three seed. Just remember, like, no, you might not have that first round bye, but you're still playing against, you're fighting to play against lower seeds, easier teams to beat theoretically. So um, I think that that's probably the most realistic appraisal of the situation. They're probably not competing for the one seed anymore. It wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles won the vast majority of their games and kind of just maintain that gap. Uh, we've seen crazier things though. Um, but yeah, again, like you said, Paul, although all of that depends on the team actually winning games again. So the three game skid has to, has to stop. Uh, Yo Mero essay. What was the reason in your opinion for this three game streak? 
Man, what a great question to end the pod on. What is my reason? Huh. I think probably the biggest reason is one that I just talked about in that Kirk Cousins in the Vikings, even without Justin Jefferson, realized the way to beat the 49ers was to short routes, get open quickly, and just move your offense down the field. And that is what negates the pass rush. And that's always kind of theoretically the way to attack a good pass rush. And, you know, when you think the amount of screens that the Vikings did, quick passes, Kirk Cousins being under pressure and still dealing. I think the biggest reason for the 49ers struggles is is NFL teams have figured out the best way to do it. Now, you still have to execute it, and a lot of teams haven't been able to do that in the past against the 49ers. But I think that's reason number one. And I'm not sure how much of that to put on Steve Wilkes. They've obviously got to find a way. And, and, and you know, great NFL defenses find a way. So reason number one, I think it's becoming a little bit more clear how to beat this version of the 49ers defense. Reason number two, I think that this team had a really large hangover from the Dallas Cowboys game. Again, they played... They played the Cowboys on what I believe was a Sunday night, right? And then they immediately had to go play the Browns across the country and on an early Sunday. So it felt like a short week for them. And I feel like going up against that defense, they were just ill-prepared, emotionally a little bit down. It was a classic like letdown game after just putting the NFL on notice against the Cowboys. And then I think people just kind of generally underrated the Vikings and the Bengals. Now, again, if this is a playoff team, you have to beat good teams. That's just what you do. But they, less so the Bengals, but the Vikings was a game the 49ers should have won. Things just didn't go their way. Christian McCaffrey fumbled in the red zone. Um, The Vikings just made some incredible plays in that game. Uh, Kirk Cousins had that concussion, immediately follows that up with two interceptions, one of which looked like, a little out of character, the other one a little more in character, just trying to make something happen in the end. And then you end against the Bengals. I think this team just kind of got uh, things spiraled out of control. You know, they 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 again they had a turnover in a red zone. Um, they had another turnover that immediately resulted in Bengals points. Uh, and and it just looked like this defense was ill prepared to deal with an offense as good as the Bengals. So the only loss that like I guess really concerned me out of those three, as weird as this is to say was the Bengals. I feel like the Vikings got real weird and the Browns was just a classic letdown game after whipping the the Cowboys ass. They're all losses. They all matter the same. They're 49ers or five and three either way. But the only really loss that really concerned me just on how it unfolded was the Bengals and the fact that they played a good team and they got their ass worked. And even then, if you want to take some comfort out of it, The 49ers, in some fashion, had to find a way to beat themselves in that game. And the 49ers can find a way to beat themselves until they until the season's over, you know, and 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 they really they either don't make the playoffs or they they don't make any noise in the playoffs. So it's not like beating yourself is somehow an excuse. But against the Bengals, it seemed like the Bengals were the better team on the ground and in the air, and even defensively. And so the other, you know, the reason for the three-game losing streak, I guess I don't really have something, a, a real overarching takeaway that, that stays with me through all three of those games. Um, the last two games, Purdy 
I mean, all three of those games, Brock Purdy didn't play great. Last two games, he played pretty well, but then unfold, kind of unraveled a bit in the second half. So if you're looking for a common theme, I'm thinking the defense started to struggle against quick passing games. Brock Purdy started to struggle when playing from behind. And then things were just a little weird in a couple of those games. Things were less weird against the Bengals, and that felt more felt more like just losing against a better team. Kind of like the 49ers lost against the Chiefs last year when, you know, I, I think that was last year. Was it? No, I don't think that was last year. It was the year before that. Where the 49ers did a deep postseason push, but, you know, in the middle of the season got absolutely eviscerated by the Chiefs. And that's when Purdy came in and throw an intercept. That was, that was last year. Weird, man. It's weird how all these things start rolling together. So, I mean, that's, that's the best I can really summarize those three losses. There's not a whole lot in common each one has, but the one to me that, that felt the most like a, a, a game, the 49ers deserved to lose was the Bengals. And obviously they deserve to lose against the Vikings. Cause I mean, their own mistakes were their undoing there, but the Bengals just felt like a better team that came in, worked them over. And even then the 49ers still had a chance to get it done. They just couldn't make mistakes and they did. You also got to talk about too, the fact that in those games, uh, in two of those games, they were without what could arguably be their absolute best player in Trent Williams, and they were without Debo Samuel, both of which I think the 49ers are expecting to get back against the Jaguars, and that can change things a lot because when you talk about the game officially being over against the Bengals, it was on uh, uh, Jalen Moore giving up a, a strip sack to end the game. So stuff like that happens. All right, I think that's a, a good place to end it. I appreciate you know, Like I said, it was an odd time for that tweet. Uh, but I just wanted to fo- fire it off and let you guys uh, let you guys uh, get into the get into the midweek or uh, the bye week pod, and we'll just talk about it. Hopefully, you enjoyed my takeaways. I'm absolutely sure there's stuff I've forgotten. Um, those are just the first thing that came to mind. You know, it really is, and I'm not going to try and uh, bore you off with my with my feelings for any more than I already have. So, um. Again, hope you enjoyed the pod. Um, if you want to show us a little bit more support, jump on whatever app you're listening to and leave us a five-star review and you know write whatever you want in there. I will read it, I promise. Um, but again, you're already offering the, the big form of support. One last thing to end it on, prize picks. Prizepicks.com slash gold. Get on prize picks. If you don't know what it is, it's daily fantasy sports. Okay, you're making entries, two to six players. Are they going to have more? Are they going to have less? Are they going to have more receiving yards? Are they going to have less carries? Are they going to have more passing yards? Are they going to have less field goals? All that stuff. It's very simple, so simple. Uh, that's my favorite part about it. I can get on price fix and place an entry within like 60 seconds. And if you get on pricefix.com slash gold, they will match anything up to $100 on your first deposit. So you put in a put in a hundred bucks, they're going to give you a hundred bucks. Get on there. Um, I'm I'm looking at two weeks, uh, uh, two a two week run of winning on Prize Picks, and um, and I'm ready to keep that streak going. So again, PrizePicks.com/gold. Check it out. Uh, and that's it for the pod. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Hashtag Striking Gold Fam. Um, but for another episode, I'm Robin. This is Striking Gold, and uh, we're uh, signing out. I don't know. I'm talking like that, but I am. Peace, everybody.